You're listening to Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ray Ray Yu. And it is time for our June 2022 mid-month check-in, where we go over the latest publishing and book news from the world of Asian American literature. Uh, yeah, Rira, how's your June been so far? It's been pretty hot. We went through a massive heat wave and my apartment... My apartment's AC hasn't really been working to the fullest. Oh, no. So, yeah, it's been it's been a real tough time. And, you know, like, I've been reading physical books, and my sweat prints have just been, like, on the pages <laughs> as I churn, and it is, like, the grossest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, I have. it's been a while since I've read a physical book. Um, I do have a couple. We received a couple of physical arcs recently for our... Uh, yeah, for that's, that's what I was reading. Usually <laughs> I read on my phone or, like, my Kindle because yeah. uh, I'm blind and I need, like, the font size to be, like, super big. But, <laughs> yeah, the physical arcs that we've gotten, I feel really bad because now it's, like, sweaty and, <laughs> like, full of my DNA. I mean, gross. to be it's fair, so physical gross. arcs, they don't really use the um the best materials to make them anyways because they're you know they're made for just to get them out to readers and advanced reviewers so not your fault is what i'm saying uh, but uh-huh. yeah it's been pretty hot um i live with a older relative who likes to set the thermostat higher than i'd like because of you know asian frugality and so um yeah my ac kicks in when i'm already sweating which is not the best situation i have like a small desk fan and i've just been using that because <laughs> and also also like my partner he has like his own ac in his office so mm. sometimes i would just like go into his office to like cool off you know those bit, portable ac migrate. units are pretty good they're pretty they're strong. really good yeah <laughs> all right well in case people want to know some inside baseball, when we record podcasts, we like to have a quiet environment, which means both Rira and I have our fans off. So we're going to get through the book news before we start cooking. Um, so let's get started with the latest Asian American publishing news. Um, this is a list that Rira compiles from um, social media as well as Publishers Weekly, and um, her labor is greatly appreciated. <laughs> um, all right, let's get started. What's our first book deal? All right. In an exclusive submission, Kokola acquired Aisha Saeed's YA magical realism novel, 40 Words for Love. The love story follows two teens, Yas and Raf, as they reel from a tragic death and the economic collapse of their town. When a mysterious family arrives full of questionable promises, the townspeople must decide whether to break apart or heal. Publication is scheduled for August 2023. Can't tell if this is going to be a sweet story or a depressing story. Probably a bit of both, right? Probably like sad times with hope and love. I am looking forward to it because uh, Aisha Saeed, she's the author of Amal Unbound. And that was a very uh, well-known book. And I think it was like a New York Times bestseller as well. I'm not sure if it was that book or a different book that she wrote. But um I think she's very good at juggling like the depressing part and like the hopeful 
uh, optimism part and managed to like merge them together to make like a wonderful story. So I am excited. All right. Our next deal, Feiwei and Friends acquired The Floating World by Axio, inspired by celestial maidens from Korean myth and pitched as Final Fantasy meets Castle in the Sky. This YA fantasy duology follows an amnesiac sword for hire and a theater troupe performer with mysterious powers who discover that their destinies will change the fate of multiple worlds. Publication is planned for 2024. This sounds pretty cool. Um, I feel like Axio, she's just always doing amazing genre stuff. And I love this Final Fantasy meets um, uh, Miyazaki-like vibes here. Yeah, and the Celestial Maidens myth is pretty well known in like Korean mythology. And (laughs) yeah, like the (laughs) husband there is... A real jerk, in my opinion, because like what <laughs> happens in that in that myth is that he goes to this lake where the celestial maidens come down from heaven and take a bath, and they leave their flying robes out while they're bathing. Oh, and is this the one where he like traps steals them? one of the robes? Yeah, he like traps them, and I'm like, wow, that that is. Real toxic behavior. Yeah, that's some gaslighting behavior right there. I mean, I feel like yeah. a lot of these like mythical husbands in Asian, especially East Asian folklore, are kind of like that. Yeah, and like what happens is that like a couple of years later, after they have children and stuff, um, he feels real guilty, so he gives back the robe and she puts it on and takes the children back up into the heavens. And he's like, oh, no, my family has been taken I've away. i heard of this. And he's able to go back to heaven because they're, like a bucket comes down from the heavens to collect water or something like that. I, I might be misremembering the myth. But what happens is that he goes and meets his family up in heaven. But then he gets sad because he left his mother behind. So they give him like he get they so they give him like a horse to go back down to earth. But they tell him, hey, you can't touch the ground. Otherwise, you can't fly up to heaven again. And pretty much like the grandmother is like, oh, my God, my son, like, have you eaten? So she gives him like a hot bowl of soup and he spills it accidentally on the horse. And the horse is like, ow, and kicks him off. And he is stranded on Earth and never able to see his family again. And I think I've heard of this myth because we're supposed to feel bad for the man, right? I don't. Like, 100%, (laughs) I do not feel bad for him at all. Oh, well, excited to see Axie's take on this myth. Um, I hope there's a giant sword involved. Yeah, very interesting. Viking acquired world rights to amazing Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders who inspire us all by Maya and Alex Shibatani. Written with Dane Liu and illustrated by Aliyah Jalil, this picture book is an inclusive nonfiction exploration of 36 changemakers who made important differences in the country. Publication is planned for spring 2023. Alex and Maya Shibutani, yes, they are the ice dancers. Yay. (laughs) That's cool. I love them. I love (laughs) that we have our Asian American celebrities now writing children's stories. They're already authors. They already have a series out. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> or did I? No, know we've that? definitely we've definitely I, talked about it on the show. Look, it's been six years. We covered a lot of book news, and um, and yeah, I'm I'm getting old. So those are those are my excuses. Please forgive me, um, 
Maya and Alex. I wonder who's going to be in this collection. Mm, well, it's Asian Americans, right? So Asian Americans um, and Pacific Islanders. Right. So I hope that, that there are actual Pacific Islanders <laughs> in this book. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot. And there's been a lot in, in politics, in science, in education, in activism. So um, there's a rich history to choose from. And yeah, looking forward to um, who makes the cut. All right. Uh, next up, Rocky Pond Books bought world rights to Charlotte Chang's Icy Fruit, a picture book biography about her grandfather starting a thriving and delicious popsicle company in Taiwan. Vivian Miniker will illustrate. The publication is set for summer 2024. Trying to think about what popsicle place this is talking about. In Taiwan, yeah. Yeah. Have I had popsicles in Taiwan? Probably. I feel like it would be more shaved ices that you've had in Taiwan. Well, I've definitely right? had That's shaved like, ice. Are you more of a popsicle person or an ice cream person? Hmm. I'm going to have to say ice cream. Yeah, I do same like here. a good ice cream. Um, what's your What's your favorite ice cream, Rira? I like soft serve ice cream. Oh. Like some of the best I've had was in Japan. <laughs> Because the Hokkaido milk is so That's good. good. I don't know what's in that dairy. Probably a bunch of hormones, but it is like I had real a, good. I had a really good um, soy flavor, like tofu flavor, soft serve in Kyoto. That was amazing. But yeah, um, I'm actually curious about about this icy fruit. Maybe I'll do some Google research and check it out next yeah, time. Yeah, Google it. Next time I'm allowed to go back to Taiwan. <laughs> All right, next up, Simon & Schuster's imprint Beach Lane Books acquired world rights to Hope Lim's picture book, Sourgrass. Illustrated by Shahzad Midani, this picture book is about two best friends with a special connection. When one friend moves away, an unexpected reminder rekindles shared memories and inspires hope. Publication is slated for spring 2024. Sourgrass. Is sourgrass actually... Okay, I'm going to sound like really stupid so i'm gonna actually google it what is sour grass sour grass is a type of buttercup it's actually not grass okay so i was mistaken interesting i have no idea either um this sounds cute it's also maybe a little bittersweet um i do have memories of best friends from elementary school moving away and honestly we didn't really reconnect until like the facebook era and even then like it's not like we haven't been able to rekindle any close friendships, but, you know, it's good to be able to remember, I guess. Yeah, I was the friend who moved away a lot because <laughs> I moved from town to town pretty frequently. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I was very bad at reconnecting and uh, staying in touch. I still am, but... You know, but when I do like meet people from my past, like it feels like no time has passed at all. Yeah, I mean, it's always good, especially if they're willing to open up to, to you know, to catch up every once in a while. And I think it's good. I, I mean, as children, this the distance seems so much more intense. So yeah, it's good that, that we have a book now that addresses those those feelings. Um, all right. Next up, Page Street Kids bought world rights to Piano Wants to Play by debut author-illustrator Colleen Kong-Savage. In Piano Wants to Play, a piano learns the importance of voice through its bond with the children who play it. Publication is planned for winter 2024. So, sentient pianos. 
That sounds really cute. Uh, <laughs> did you learn piano when you were a kid? I did not. Um, the first instrument I learned how to play was actually the flute. Wow. Yeah. When did you start? Uh, fifth grade. In fifth grade, they started like lessons to like as a feeder program into the as a feeder program into um, band in middle school and high school. So um, I played I played the flute and then I learned the trombone as well. Wow, your instrumental like career is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> my my mom is like uh, my mom was like a classical voice major, but she also like. I guess studied uh, piano, so she actually plays the piano for church and does like the choir conducting. Mm. And uh, I took my first piano lessons when I was like five, oh. and uh, it was so brutal because I had like a so I had like a piano teacher, but also like my mom taught at home, so it was like double lessons, and it got to a point where it was just like really really hard and i told my dad like i want to quit and i was like crying (laughs) yeah eventually yeah and i quit so that was like the last time i played the piano so i only like i only did the piano for like maybe two years so like five to seven yeah i mean you can't really force that stuff um like i started playing music because i wanted to and it turned out better um they do say that if you learn how to play music if you play music and read music for like eight years or more, like your brain like is developed more or like it's more like resilient towards like aging or something. And I only put in seven years. So I still need to get in that last year somehow. Maybe it's too late. Maybe it's eight consecutive years and now I'm screwed. I heard that like if you're <laughs> able to sight read, if you're able to read music, uh, you're able to pick up language better. Oh. And I could totally understand that because music is its own That's language. True. That's true. I can still probably sight read if it's in the key that I recognize. <laughs> I totally cannot sight read anymore. And <laughs> like, let's see, I played the piano, the violin, the clarinet. Oh, wow. Uh, the oboe. So literally four instruments and I cannot read music. Anymore. But they're all treble clef. So it should be pretty like simple, right? I'm sh- I'm sure if I like. <laughs> studied for maybe a day or two just to like review i'll be able to read the score again uh-huh. but yeah after after high school i was like i'm never ever gonna play an instrument again <laughs> i'm never gonna join band never <laughs> never gonna like oh. do like out like i have friends who love playing music for fun and they're like part of community orchestras and I'm like, why? How? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's time we can be spend watching, you know, Star Wars and stuff. I like going to concerts. Like, I like <laughs> going to orchestra and classical concerts, but I just, like, cannot deal mm. with playing myself. I just don't like it. All right. All right. We got to get back on track again. Um, what's our next book deal, Rira? Random House Studio bought world rights to Newbery Honor winning author Vera Hiranandani's The Greatest. Illustrated by Vesper Stamper, the picture book is about a grandfather's special relationship with his grandchildren, which turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Publication is slated for fall 2024. Oh, it's always great to see these um, grandparent grandchildren books. I think I think it makes sense. I think when you're when you're young, you know, your your grandparents really dote on you. Um, I don't know about you, but my my grandparents. Well, my grandmother loved me a lot. 
my grandfather, I think, was kind of indifferent. But, you know, in that stoic, Asian, older person sort of way. Um, I was, like, the favorite on both sides of my family because <laughs> I am the oldest I am the oldest daughter mm. uh, in my mom's side of the family and I'm the youngest daughter on my dad's side of the family so I was uh, oh, the best both treated worlds. in yeah best of both both worlds <laughs> alright our next deal um, Beaming Books bought An Extraordinary Life colon Kalpana Chala written by Raki Mirchandani and Lori Walmark the picture book biography tells the story of the first Indian-born American astronaut who was also an important woman in STEM. Matre Gosh will illustrate. The publication is set for spring 2024. I love the fact that there's more picture book biography of women in STEM. Because I know there was a book uh, called like Queen of Physics, and that was about like a Chinese-American physicist. So it's really nice that kids are able to have this role model, especially... I feel like a lot of like millennial children, we grew up with like a lot of gender norms. So for the longest time, it was kind of believed that girls girls aren't able to pick up science and math as easily as boys. And that's utter garbage. So I'm really glad that there is, um, there are examples of people who have overcome this prejudice. Yeah, Um, I just searched um, Kalpana on Wikipedia and discovered, uh, spoiler alert, she um, died aboard the Space Shuttle Columbia accident in 2003. Oh, no. <laughs> so I don't I guess. Whew, yeah. It, would that be a trigger warning on that children's book? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Next up, Roaring Brook acquired The Last Blood Carver, a YA fantasy debut by Vanessa Lee. The book follows a young woman hiding in the fringes of society who must use her forbidden healing ability to cure the only witness to a murder. Publication is planned for fall 2023. Is this redemption for bloodbenders? Not to um, invoke the other series, but... Uh, I think it's pretty cool, uh, this concept of resuscitating uh, the only witness to a murder. Because <laughs> it's like, who tried to kill them? Like, what was the crime? Who got murdered? All right. Uh, next up, in an exclusive submission, Scholastic Acorn bought world rights to the first three books in the early reader series, Sniff and Scratch. Written by Vicky Fong and illustrated by Luisa Liao, the series is about two best friends, a dog named Sniff and a cat named Scratch, and their silly adventures at home. Publication of the first two books is planned for 2023. That is clever. That is a clever play on words. You got me there. I was yeah, like, Sniff is. and Scratch, what does that mean? It's a doggy and a cat. It reminds me of uh, Cat Dog. Do you remember the cartoon? No, I'm too old for that one. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was. it's about like a cat and dog that shares one body. They're kind of like uh, conjoined twins. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like about their adventures. Um, and they have like opposite personalities because obviously they're a cat and a dog. So I'm interested to yeah. to see like what kind of best friend dynamics they have. <laughs> All right, next up, Paulson Books acquired world rights to Jocelyn Chung's When Love Is More Than Words, a picture book about a family who shows love without always saying those three little words. The book will be illustrated by Julia Kuo. Publication is slated for fall 2024. So we're teaching young Asian children that just because you're 
parents don't say I love you doesn't mean that they don't love you. Yeah, this has always been an aspect of Asian American, I guess, culture that I don't relate to because my parents say I love you to me all the time, um, which I am discovering is more of an exception than the rule, apparently. I mean, my parents would say I love you, but it it seemed like less strong than (laughs) the actions that they would do sometimes. So I don't know, like we also have a new generation of Asian Americans and I feel like these parents are able to express their love very easily in terms yeah. of verbal reinforcement. Turns out um, you, uh, a generation removed from the trauma of, let's say, constant warfare and um, displacement will do a lot for your ability to um, emote. Also therapy <laughs> helps a lot. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up, at an auction, Harper Alley bought Encore by debut graphic novelist Miles Burks. The book is adapted from the popular webtoon of the same name when Clayton Noguchi's best friend Aaron Santos lands in his theater class due to an unfulfilled graduation requirements. The boys rekindle their friendships, but the painful history between the two threatened to stand in the way of their growing feelings. Publication is set for summer 2024. Is this BL? Hold on, let me check. I read webtoons, but I have not read this one. It's really nice that it's going to be in like an actual physical book. I mean, we've seen some webtoons get adapted into books like um, Dami Lee, who's on our show, um, and her um, collection Be Everything at Once. Yeah, I think it's cool that webtoons are now another avenue for people to get published. Yeah, I remember like when webtoons first started becoming a thing, (laughs) like people did not take it seriously as like as a platform for quote unquote real creators. So I'm glad that the publishing industry is seeing Webtoon creators as actual creators worthy of publication. So, yeah. 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 Congrats to Miles for, uh, for making it. <laughs> All right. Next up, Hogarth acquired North American rights to two novels by Man Booker winner Han Kang. The first book, Greek Lessons, was published in South Korea in 2011 and will be released in the U.S. in April 2023. Translated by Deborah Smith, Greek Lessons tells the interwoven stories of a Greek instructor who is losing his sight and a woman who refuses to speak. Uh, The second book in the deal is Human Acts, which is slated for an April 2024 release, and it will be translated by Emily Wan. The book was published in South Korea in 2021 and follows a character who returns to Jeju Island where a massacre occurred in 1948. So Han Kang is the author of The Vegetarian, which was oh. a very, very well-known book. And it was also translated by Deborah Smith, um, it was a very strange book, let me tell you. <laughs> it's very Kafka-esque, right? That's what I remember hearing about it. Like, it's kind of just, like, surreal in a way, or? Yeah, it is very surreal. Like, I enjoyed reading it, but uh, I want to read it in Korean one day, even though my Korean isn't that great <laughs> in terms of, like, reading comprehension. But um, I heard that the translation actually took out a lot of things from the actual Korean story. So oh. I'm interested in seeing how Greek lessons will be translated because it's by the same translator. And uh, 
Greek lessons. <laughs> it's a Korean author writing about a yeah. Greek instructor. It's it's very interesting. What a strange setup. But then knowing the author, I, I imagine it's going to get kind of weird. Yeah. And Human Acts was also like super well known. I remember when that book came out, like it won a bunch of awards in Korea. Um, mm. And like the Jeju Uprising, that was actually mentioned in uh, E.J. Ko's book, uh, The Magical Language of Others, when it was doing a flashback to her grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, mm. we know a little bit about it, but it would be nice to read more details on it in English. Uh, well, looking forward to seeing more of Han's book. All right, next up. In an exclusive submission, Candlewick Press acquired world rights to Newbery Honor author Rajani LaRocca's Monty, illustrated by Nadia Alam. The story follows a girl who must come to terms with sharing her favorite auntie, um, Monty, with her older cousin. Uh, publication is planned for fall 2024. Um, Ooh, cousin rivalry. <laughs> yeah, and I guess... Um, I mean, I'm reading between the lines, but I'm assuming Monty is a portmanteau of mother and auntie, uh, but I can't be sure. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up, Roaring Brook acquired Stars and Smoke and its sequel to YA novels by Marie Liu, mm. uh, the author of Warcross, Sky Hunter, and Legend. Uh, pitched as The Bodyguard Meets Kingsman, the book is about... Winter Young, the world's hottest superstar who is recruited by a covert organization to take down a criminal tycoon. And he finds himself paired with Sidney Cosette, a fierce and unpredictable secret agent. Suspicions soon turn into sparks as the two are drawn into a tangled web of secrets and deception. The first book will be published in winter 2023, and the second will follow in winter 2024. I love that this reads like a early 2000s, late 90s, like odd couple secret agent adventure rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> also, have you seen Spy Family yet? It's I great. I have. Yeah, I love it. It's um. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This also reminds me of, um, do you remember the, um, the Jackie Chan film, The Tuxedo? Yeah, I remember. Where we have like wow. Jackie Chan being the hapless like guy who comes into possession of like a secret agent tuxedo and he has like a secret agent handler um yeah, managing him. Yeah. yeah. Definitely a lot of a lot of rich um source material to draw from. I'm excited. Uh, Marie has always been a really great genre writer. And yeah, I'm excited to see where she goes with this. Yeah, she writes action really, really well. <laughs> so I can see this being very cinematic. Yeah. All right, next up, Scholastic bought world rights to Tala Learns to Siva, written by debut Hawaiian Samoan author Kehlani Natani and illustrated by Dung Ho, um, who also illustrated Eyes That Kiss at the Corners. The story, inspired by the author's own experience as a Polynesian dancer, follows Tala, a Samoan girl who finds inner courage through her family while learning their traditional Samoan Taluga dance. Publication is slated for summer 2024. I'm happy that we're seeing more... Um, Pacific Islander, Native Hawaiian, um, Samoan representation in children's literature now, too. I think I feel like we've seen a lot of like East Asian and South Asian, but um, the actual like Pacific Islander representation has been pretty few and far between in our, in our lists, right? Yeah. And it's also in terms of like distribution as well, because a lot of books that 
uh, are written by Pacific Islanders, they're not widely distributed in the States for some reason. (laughs) So we can't really get a hold on a lot of these books. And it's nice that um, there are picture books by um, actual like Pacific Islanders and not like white people being like, look at like, this is my story about visiting Hawaii and Samoa. We ate a luau. We watched hula dancers. Oh, God. (laughs) All right. Next up, HarperCollins bought world rights to Box of Dreams by debut author Faith Cosme. Inspired by the author's family, this picture book celebrates the dreams that are shared with loved ones far away as a child packs up a special Balikbayan box with her mom to send back to the Philippines. The book will be illustrated by Christine Almeida and edited by Megan Ilnitsky. Publication is set for summer 2024. All right. I'm not familiar with Filipino culture, being not Filipino myself, but I am familiar with the box of stuff you send back home um, to your relatives. Yeah, we've read a couple of books by Filipino-American authors who mention <laughs> these boxes. Yeah. And a lot of Costco runs from, like, America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely had to bring a second suitcase to bring back to Taiwan filled with Costco stuff in my past, for sure. It's funny because, like, my, for when I go to Korea, it's the opposite. I have to, like, <laughs> buy a suitcase. Or, like, my dad has to bring an extra suitcase to bring back all of, like, the skincare stuff and, like, <laughs> like all the cheap clothes For personal and use or for the secondary market? I mean, for personal use, of course. <laughs> like, I mean, back in high school, I didn't have anyone who I could sell it to because Korea was not in vogue. Uh, and skincare back then was, like, much simpler. <laughs> and now that I'm an adult and the internet is very accessible, <laughs> I can just order things online. <laughs> All right. Next up, FSG acquired A Letter to Olivo, a picture book by acclaimed author-illustrator Yamsuk Choi. Upon moving to the U.S. from Korea, Ji Hong is tasked with writing a letter to his best friend, but he is struggling to write in English, and his best friend back home can't read. Fueled by love and creativity, Ji Hong writes the class's most unique letter, and in doing so, connects with a neurodivergent student who also struggles with the assignment. Publication is planned for spring 2024. So I'm guessing that his friend is dyslexic. Because it says that his best friend can't read. Oh. And we're saying neurodivergent. So that is what I'm guessing. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a pretty complicated plot for a picture book. But um, also a very interesting story about being friends with people that are different, right? Yeah. And Yangsik Choi is the author of The Name Jar, which is a pretty well-known picture book about a Korean kid who has a name that is like very hard to write and pronounce. So their classmates write a bunch of English names and put them in a jar for them to pick out their new English name. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, So this is totally his vibe then. Yeah. Uh, Well, congrats to Yonsei Choi for her new book. All right, next up, Rocky Pond Books acquired world rights to The Broken Heart by Aaron Chan, a Chinese-Canadian writer, musician, and filmmaker, and the author of This City is a Minefield. Josian Vlitos will illustrate. This picture book with identity-inspired LGBTQ2S plus themes tells the story of a girl who likes to fix things and who sets out to help her brother mend his heart after his relationship with his boyfriend has ended. Publication is planned for spring 2024. Oh, it's a picture book about like a little sister helping (laughs) 
her brother get over his ex. That's really cute. That is cute. I wonder if she'll make things worse. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Bowser and Bray acquired Ritu Hanani's debut historical middle grade novel in verse, Three Colors of Hope. Based on family history, this is a coming-of-age story of 12-year-old Raj's journey during the 1947 partition of India as the country is split into two. Raj is thrust into a tumultuous world where he must fend for himself, find the sister he lost, and keep his family together before the bully at his new school pushes him past his breaking point. Publication is scheduled for spring 2024. A lot of cool things here, a novel in verse, and it's a historical book uh, about like the partition of India. We've been getting a little bit more uh, middle grade books that are set in that time period. So that's really good. And yeah, bullying is bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's always bad. All right, next up, Beach Lane Books of Simon & Schuster bought author-illustrator Sharon Fujimoto Johnson's debut picture book, The Mochi Makers. In this story of intergenerational connectedness and love, a girl and her grandmother spend the day making Japanese rice cakes together, honoring their family members who passed down the tradition and making new memories of their own. Publication is slated for spring 2024. Man, this is like the Japanese version of making dumplings, right? Have you ever seen uh, the process of making mochi? I have. I've seen a couple BuzzFeed videos. I've seen a couple like Netflix um, um, food series um, that feature it. So people who don't know like the process, <laughs> there's like a hammer involved and or like a mallet, I guess. And you like have to like flip the dough <laughs> as they like um, I- s- smash the 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 dough in between. I feel like flipping. that depends on like the scale that you're making mochi at. I think if you're making it at home, I don't think you actually use a hammer or do you? Actually, I've never made mochi at home, so I wouldn't know. Well, we're not Japanese. <laughs> not all Asians are the same. <laughs> Our rice cakes are made differently. Mm, that's true. All right. Uh, next up, Clarion Books has acquired world rights to the picture book Smiling Eyes, written by Newbery medalist Linda Sue Park. Written in rhyme, the book expresses joy in the variety of Asian eyes and how eyes help us experience the world. The book will be illustrated by Lenny Wen. Publication is scheduled for fall 2024. This is important. People need to know that not all of our eyes are almond-shaped. I mean, aren't all eyes shaped like almonds? <laughs> That's like something I never understood as a kid. <laughs> I'm like, is, isn't everyone's eyes like shaped like an almond that's like flipped on its side? I don't know, but I like the fact that we're getting more books that celebrate Asian eyes because that is like an insecurity for a lot of um, the older generation, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people are still doing the whole chingy eye thing now. So, you know. Yeah, with uh, all of the Asian hate crimes that, that has been happening mm. with the pandemic. And unfortunately, there has been a surge of bullying uh, of Asian kids in like elementary schools. So. Not great. People suck. Bullying, not okay. That's the official stance of Books and Boba. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, next up, Barefoot Books acquired The Perfect Sushi, written by Emily Satoko Saw, illustrated by Mik Moriuchi. Mika wants to make the perfect sushi for her grandmother's birthday, but must overcome her frustrations to discover the key ingredient. Publication is planned for spring 2023. Man. Have you ever tried rolling sushi? It's kind of hard. But maybe it's just me and my chronic overstuffing of things. Probably the overstuffing. (laughs) 
Yeah. That is to say, um, making sushi is hard. And I totally uh, empathize with Miko for um, her struggles in making the perfect sushi for her grandmother. All right, for our last deal, in a two-book deal for world rights, Feiwei and Friends bought Hanbui's debut picture book, The Yellow Aldai. The book tells the story of a girl preparing to perform a Vietnamese fan dance. She learns of her grandmother's loving legacy through mending a traditional dress and gathers her courage to share her culture and belief in herself. Minnie Fan will illustrate. Publication is slated for spring 2023. Uh, the second book in the deal, An's New World, tells the story of a refugee child embracing her voice and speaking her first English word aloud with the help of her teacher. Uh, publication is set for 2024, and the book will be illustrated by Bao Lu. I'm thinking of someone else. All right. Um, yeah. Um, again, uh, a picture book about culture. Um, yeah, I like the fact that it's like one book is celebrating like traditional Vietnamese culture and the other book is, uh, you know, like trying to like bridge those two worlds together. Yeah. So congrats to Han on the two books. All right. So that is the end of our very long list. Ooh, that of was deals. longer than I thought. I was like going through the list. And I was like, man, we're into our third page now. Wow. Yeah. Three pages. <laughs> um Okay, so we have one piece of news, and it's, I don't know if you caught it on book Twitter, Marvin. I caught um, people's reaction to it, because uh, I do get alerts on my phone when um, something's trending on the Books and Boba Twitter uh, account. And so I caught the reaction to this, but like, tell me what happened. What did Mr. James Patterson do? Okay, so James Patterson, in an interview with UK Sunday Times, uh, said he feared it has become difficult for white men to get film and publishing jobs, uh, and it's called just another form of racism. So he was pretty much saying how diversity hires has made it harder for white, straight men to get jobs. And he literally said... In quotes, can you get a job? Yes. Is it harder? Yes. It's even harder for older writers. You don't meet many 52-year-old white males in this industry, in brackets. Um, so obviously, Twitter had a lot to say about this. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with James Patterson, I mean, I can't imagine why you wouldn't be because you probably see his name everywhere in in bookshops. Uh, But he has more than 114 New York Times bestsellers. And he's written, quote unquote, written hundreds of books. And he is notorious for using ghostwriters to write these books. Because he churns out these books like like two, three a year. (laughs) And a lot of these books are co-authored. And... uh, his net worth is over $700 million. So the fact that this old white man is saying that opportunities are scarce for white male authors is ridiculous. I mean, it is, but at the same time, it sounds about right. You know, like what do they say um, when things start becoming equal, um, the people who are privileged start to feel oppressed. I don't think that's the exact quote, but it's kind of the same, right? Like, because other people are finally getting opportunities, um, the people who've always had those opportunities feel like they're losing something, which it's like, it's a reaction that 
I understand because I don't think the people who feel this way have the empathy to recognize why things are happening, you know? Um, and it's, I mean, okay, but like, he's not what the first, I don't he won't understand. be the last, you know, to, to like say something like this. He's just made the mistake of saying it out loud. And so now we all know how he thinks. Like, what I don't understand is, okay, like, say if we're in a writer's room and there are 10 writers, usually it's like nine writers are white male writers. <laughs> and then that one person is either a woman or a diversity hire. Yeah. And it's like people who don't get their spot are saying, oh, that diversity hire took my spot. And I'm like, what about the nine spots taken by white men? Like your competition are those white men. But you're too mediocre to get that spot. So, <laughs> but you understand. But what about me? What do I deserve? Uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, we've mentioned this statistic before um, because every year um, there's like a survey done by Lee and Lowe and a bunch of other like publishers. Um, like reporting on diversity hires. And according to New York Times, 89% of books published in 2018 were written by white authors. And in 2020, the Diversity Baseline Survey found that 85% of people who acquire and edit books are white. Yeah. So I don't know what white men are are losing out on, like really. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like, Imprints and publishers can say the right things, make the right PR moves, and say they're hiring diversely. But I doubt James Patterson is the only person who thinks this way. I'm willing to put money on a lot of people, not even writers, like people in those publishing houses who think the same way. That, okay, we have to... We have to give up this spot for for someone diverse, even though we really want to give it to this white guy because we totally get what he's putting out, right? And it's more evidence that change won't happen unless the entire industry makes a conscious effort to hire, bring in more people, more diverse people in all aspects of the publishing world. I mean, what is really messed up is that James Patterson actually had a children's book imprint called Jimmy Patterson, and they did acquire books by marginalized authors, like Girls of Paper and Fire by Natasha Yen, which was a previous Books and Boba book club pick, and it was a sapphic uh, romance set in kind of like an imperial court drama with demons. That was picked up by Jimmy Patterson's imprint, and then... Uh, in 2020, that imprint went through restructuring and all future books were just James Patterson books, all collaboration titles. So most of those marginalized authors lost out on their book deals. Uh, if they were lucky, they got moved to Little Brown Books for Young Readers. But a lot of these marginalized authors were left stranded. And that is just like, can you imagine like working on a book for over a year and you already have all these hurdles as like an Asian American or a marginalized author. You finally get your book deal. And it's like a big deal because it's it's owned by like the number one like New York Times bestseller, bestselling author. And then you just lose out on everything. I mean, that would suck. But now understanding the mindset of the person in charge, it's probably like, I mean, yes, 
get your money, get your book deal. But at the same time, when the person in charge is obviously uncomfortable with you and the books you write, I think it's just unfortunate, right? Like you have this It's great just someone who is trying to cash in <laughs> on the diversity, like quote unquote trend. Yeah. I mean, on the opposite side of uh, this scale is Rick Reardon, who also has his own imprint and who's also an older white author who is acclaimed. And he's published a lot of uh, authors of color. And he actually wrote like, I I think we covered this in our last mid-month episode, but when they announced the adaptation of the Percy Jackson series and they decided to cast a Black actress as one of the main characters and Twitter and the world just flipped out. He was just like, hey, you guys are racist. You guys think that this cannot be played by a Black actress. Yeah, I mean, I feel like between the two of them, um, I think you kind of see the difference between someone who is willing to both walk the walk and talk the talk and someone who's just talking. But Rick Reardon actually writes his books. Like he's an actual writer. <laughs> James Patterson uses co-authors and ghostwriters. And like, can you really call yourself an author when you didn't write your own books? And like, I know that in the past he says, oh, well, I participate in most of the storytelling because I give them a very detailed outline and my co-author like just follows my directions. And I'm like, what? Like most authors will know that you can write an outline and have none (laughs) of it, like have none of your prose like go according to plan and having to change a lot of things. So I think that's absolute BS. I mean, I feel like it definitely feels like some sort of exploitation to you know, to have someone else write the bulk of your book but still slap your name on it as the um, the main author. Um, this person would be the bad guy in like a Saturday morning after school special, right? Or like a Scooby-Doo mystery. So he did post an apology on Twitter and I'm just going to read it out loud. I apologize for saying white male authors having trouble finding work is a form of racism. I absolutely do not believe that racism is practiced against white writers. Please know that I strongly support a diversity of voices being heard in literature, in Hollywood, everywhere. And listen, I feel like this was ghostwritten by someone (laughs) because there is no way that James Patterson wrote that because he doesn't write anything on his own. I heard a story and I'm not sure if this is a rumor or not, but I totally believe like it's possible. So apparently, what I've heard from like the Whisper Network in in publishing Twitter is that all the emails that he gets is printed by his wife or his assistant, and they and they give it to him, and then he writes down his response, and then they go and respond on his behalf on a computer. And I'm like, wow, I can actually believe that because a 75-year-old white man who is entitled to just churn out books <laughs> under other people's creative process, of course he would just rely on other people to write his emails for him. So now we know James Patterson hates diversity, also hates trees. Doesn't know how to use the internet, <laughs> apparently. But it was nice to see, like, book Twitter. Like, pretty much every form of writing Twitter, <laughs> writer Twitter, just, like, all combined forces and being like, 
this is absolute BS. Like, James Patterson is the worst. It was a day of unity on book Twitter. It was a day of unity, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, with that, I'll also do it for this edition of the Books and Boba Mint Month Check-In. Um, as always, Reba, thank you for compiling all the book news um, that we went over. No problem. <laughs> um, I guess as a reminder, um, what are we reading for Book Club this month? We are reading Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe, which is a historical fiction novel set in San Francisco's Chinatown during the Red Scare and is about a woman who goes who stumbles into a lesbian bar and explores her sexuality yeah um again this this book won a ton of awards last year so i'm excited to uh to talk about this with all of you um if you have read the book or are reading and have thoughts um, please let us know on our goodreads forums uh, we always love to incorporate your feedback on our discussion episodes so please let us know what you think um and on that note um that'll do it for this episode of books and boba Um, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about The Collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like. A podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.